Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Startup Parent Podcast. This is the show where we get to talk to working parents, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives about what it looks like to raise kids and also build companies. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. The other day, I was reading an article on Time magazine that I couldn't stop reading. Kyle Myers, an author, had written a long-form piece about gender, sex, and parenting. She writes about gender and gender inequality and about how we are all so extremely socialized towards particular genders and how that affects and oppresses people from adults actually all the way down to children. Dr. Kyle Myers has a degree in gender studies. She has a PhD in sociology. She's an award-winning educator and a globally recognized advocate for gender creative parenting. Since 2016, Kyle has been speaking and writing about gender creative parenting and using their own parenting story to help the world learn about and embrace a new type of childhood. Kyle Myers goes by she and her pronouns as well as they and them. Dr. Myers is the author of a book that's just out called Raising Them, Our Adventure in Gender Creative Parenting. In the book, Kyle writes about the difference between sex chromosomes and anatomy, which is sex, and gender, which is a socially adapted form of expression. The sentence that floored me, however, and that made me reach out and say, please, please, would you come join us on this parenting podcast, was how she wrote and spoke about gender creative parenting. They write, The goal of gender creative parenting is not to eliminate gender. The goal is to eliminate gender-based oppression, disparities, and violence. The aim isn't to create a genderless world. It's to contribute to a gender-full one. We, as a society, have an opportunity to shake up childhood gender socialization in a way that creates more healthy and equitable adulthoods for everyone. End quote. Oh, I loved this. This idea that we don't have to stuff everyone into a gray or a beige box or say, oh my gosh, gender is gone and expression is gone. No, the point of all of this is that we can have a conversation about what are we teaching our kids and can we make it a little fuller and cooler and maybe like have their participation in some of this? What a concept. As I thought about this, I realized that part of the goal of full human expression is to help reduce the amount that we restrict our little kids who are boys or that we call boys from things like depression, avoiding their feelings, teaching them to dominate girls. These are all things we teach them to do. And little girls suffer in so many ways at the hands of hypergenderism. All you need to do is look at any clothing store that's labeled boys in large letters and girls in capital letters and ask yourself, Why are we dressing half of our small children like they're off to a golf game with other businessmen, those would be our boys, and half of our small children like tiny, weak, pink prey, those would be our little girls. It's a little bizarre. Like, I think we've we've gone a little over the top when it comes to this. It doesn't mean we can't be fully expressive. It's just so arbitrary that we've really radically separated the two and said there's a whole category for half of you and a whole category for the other half and they shall never meet. So she writes, a friend of hers said, man, I spend so much time tearing the walls down that people are trying to build around my daughters. People aren't trying to build walls around Zoomer. That's Kyle's kid. Because they don't know which walls to build. On this episode, you're going to hear Kyle's story about raising a child without applying gender pronouns to their kid and what Zoomer's life is like. You'll hear about Kyle's work history and career journey and also We get into all the creative names and ways we can expand our lexicon when it comes to parenting. 
That's right. What do you call a grandbaby or a grandchild if you don't gender it? I, for one, have started calling my kids, well, kids more, because really that's what they are. I don't need to shout to the world repeatedly that they have penises for them to play more effectively on the playground. Hey, boys. Hey, boys. Hey, boys. Yes, I, you know, they may identify as boys and I may give them he pronouns or they may decide to have these pronouns, but I don't need, they don't need to operate the playground with their genitals. So I can also more casually and more frequently just say, hey there, kids. I love you. Okay, let's get into today's episode. I'm so excited about it. We have Kyle on the show, and this is going to be such a good episode. Let's dig in. If you have not checked out our mini books yet, go check them out. We have five mini books for parents, entrepreneurs, and mothers that we are making here at Startup Pregnant. We have the Parenting Reading List, which is if you are busy but you want to know what books I'm reading on parenting, I do this thing where I write a little summary of every book that I've read and I take notes and you can just go read my notes. You don't have to read the whole book. From there, if there's a book that catches your interest, you can go get the books that you want, but you don't have to read every single book. I'm a big geek and I've done that for you. I also have the pregnancy reading list. Surprise, surprise. That's the same. I take a whole bunch of notes on books and I put them into one book just for you. So that's the parenting reading list and the pregnancy reading list. Both are mini books. They're short. They're not long. And you can skim them and flip them as a Kindle or a PDF or whatever way that you want to read it. I also have three other books. One of them is called Pregnancy Affirmations, and that is for people who are pregnant and want to get some good words in your mind. I reached out and interviewed a whole bunch of people and asked them for their favorite mantras and affirmations. So check that out if you want. There are two more, including the Startup Mama profiles and my favorite, Sticky Situations, which is all about how to get out of sticky situations. If you want to check out any of these mini books, go to startuppregnant.com slash mini books to check them out. We are releasing them throughout 2019. And if you are on our email list, you get a first preview and I often give out coupons for free copies of these books. We've got five mini books. They're over at startuppregnant.com slash mini books. And the link is in the show notes. If you want to scroll into the show notes and check it out or go to our website, startuppregnant.com and look for mini books and you will get them. Everyone, I'm so excited to have Dr. Kyle Myers joining us on the show. Kyle, welcome. Thank you. Oh, I have like a million questions for you, but I'm going to start with my favorite question. I ask most guests this, what time did you wake up this morning and what was the first thing that you did? Ooh, I woke up around 6.15 is when my alarm went off. I checked my phone. That's the first thing I do. I don't want to do that, but I do it. And but I checked Instagram and saw some really lovely photos from people who have gotten my book recently. And it, so it's just, you know, I can't. Yeah. Oh yeah. Are you and most humans out there? Yeah. <laughs> the majority of them. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's like another thing we have to figure out this in our, I think our era of time, it's like yeah. this addiction to our phones, but yeah, we all do it. So then, then what happens? You've checked your phone, you've seen these beautiful photos. Yeah. My husband Brent often wakes up a little bit before me and does some work. And 
he can like hear me. And he brought me up a cup of coffee, which was really lovely. And we talked for a bit and we needed to wake Zoomer up early because they had a dentist appointment at 7.30 this morning before school. So yeah. So it was just kind of a quick morning of just getting out the door to get Zoomer to the dentist and then to preschool. And then I went and I saw my younger sister and we went on a walk. We walked her dog and got a cup of coffee. And so I was running on a lot of coffee this morning and like two <laughs> bananas. Like it was, I was kind of buzzing when I got home. I was like, this is not, this is too, far too much caffeine and, you know, far too few carbs. It was, so it was a really, really lovely morning so far. Oh, that's, that's yeah. funny. So, and then does Zoomer go to school for a while? I mean, you just said two words, by the way, in the middle of a pandemic that are kind of revolutionary. You mm. said dentist and school. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I miss those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that we would have avoided the dentist, but because we are moving, we're, we're moving to Australia in November that, right? Like I'm just trying to take advantage of our health insurance right now that I'm going to be giving up in November when we move. And of course, Australia has better health coverage. So Brent and Zoomer who are, who are Australian citizens will have coverage and I'll try to, you know, find some short-term plan or something, you know, I don't know, cross my fingers and hope for the best and like pray to not get pregnant. I don't know like what'll happen. So yes, we're just doing some preventative stuff, you know, of like, yeah, it, it would have been, I would have foregone the dentist for sure during a pandemic, but I feel like they were doing a good safe job and it felt like let's do preventative care instead of like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I miss it. I, I think I took, this is TMI, but I took my tweezers the other day and I was like scraping in between my teeth because I was like, <laughs> I was like, please, I need to go to the dentist. <laughs> oh, that tartar removal every six months is so right. rejuvenating, you know? That's right. Yeah. You're like, oh, I really want a clean mouth. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also said preschool. Oh, yeah. I just, I don't know the trade-off, right, of like that every parent is having to make during this pandemic of like watching your only child's mental health and your mental health and your partner's mental health just like spiral as everybody is at home 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to work, trying to give each other attention, trying to take care of yourself, trying to parent. It was a lot. And Zoomer was not in school from March until June. And then we kind of felt like we got to do, like we have to do something, we have to do something, you know? And so we, we did, we put them back in school and they're thriving and I get updates every single day. Like we were the family once, right? We're like, we had symptoms. And so we kept Zoomer home until we got tested and we got our negative COVID tests back. Right. And then I just got that email update today, you know, that was like, just so you know, like, you know, there's two families who are kind of self quarantining because they have symptoms and this family got negative. You know, I mean, it's just this new constant communication between the school and us and just, you're just, praying, you you know, I mean, praying that your kid doesn't get it. Salt Lake City, Utah, where I live has done a really, really good job. Um, I think like, I think our city and county government has done a really good job trying to manage the pandemic. Like we had a mask mandate and we were doing better than the state of Utah uh, (laughs) generally. And we, and we did not get hit as hard as like you did in, in New York by any by any stretch. And so 
we're still being cautious, you know, and careful, but also trying to find that balance as working parents. Yeah. It's such a sneaky little thing because it's, you have to, yeah, the lines of communication have to open up more and you have to constantly be like uh, assessing and be aware and be vigilant, but then also make these choices where, well, you know what? Our daycare is doing a good job, a good enough job. They're really taking this seriously. And I can't keep my kid in a closet. Oh, I guess that's a bad pun on this episode or a bad metaphor, but <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I can't. In the garage. Like in you the, are, garage. Yeah, the, the bounce house in the garage, you know, right. we don't have a backyard. I just, oh. Yeah, we have my kid right now. They're home today. Um, my four-year-old is on our bed on an iPad and playing games. And my almost two-year-old is taking his nap. So like, mm-hmm. like behind the wall that you see here. Nice. And one of them may come in. Yeah. At yeah. the middle of this. So. Yeah. And and that would be perfectly welcomed. You know, I mean, I think that <laughs> that has been something that, you know, I hope we maybe we'll talk about in this of like the pandemic, especially in the United States, it it really pulled the curtain back, you know, on what's expected of yeah. working parents, what's not, you know, and, yeah. and actually I think it also gave some parents some like in some in some cases, more privileged cases, I guess, the ability to just be like, you are expecting far too much of me, right? Like, you know, I mean, to get a, a workplace email of like, okay, the new policy is that you can't eat when you're on Zoom calls. We can't, we don't want to see a pet or a baby. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like the lack of humanity sometimes yeah. <laughs> is, is, is really glaring. You're just like, yeah. well, actually I will take this time to eat my lunch because yeah. you need me to do my work. <laughs> totally. Cause That's I've right. been on zoom calls since all day or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I, I want to go into your background, your history. Can you take us through like, where did you grow up as a child and how did that shape who you are today? Hmm. That's a long story and I'll Enough. try to make it short and sweet. I grew up in the like Southwest and Mountain West of the United States. So born in Arizona, but also raised for a bit in Oregon. And then my family moved to Utah when I was nine. Throughout all of that, um, I was growing up being raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So being raised Mormon as it's more um, you know colloquially known. I'm 34 years old. So I was born in 1986 and I actually love that I got to grow up in like the nineties and I love, right. Like the internet wasn't a really big part of growing up. I mean, for better and for worse, right. Like I was totally ignorant until like in my twenties and I got to go to college and like learn how to actually like seek information, but it was also really wonderful. Like I feel like I had a really slow a slow childhood, which was great. So that's like, yeah, that's where I, I grew up. I grew up in the West and Mm -hmm. Mormon. But then once I, after I graduated high school, I moved to Europe and I was an au pair for a while there. And that totally changed the trajectory of my life. I think like I got to meet a lot of diverse people and I think for the first time in my life as growing up, having been raised a girl in the Mormon church, I got to see women who were like college educated and who were smashing it in their careers and were these like badass moms and really cool role mo- like role models for me for what I could envision for myself. And that's when I kind of got bit by the education bug and started going to school and found 
feminism and social justice and gender studies and what I wanted to do for a career. And that kind of, you know, set me on my trajectory of going to grad school and, you know, can you tell us, like, what did you study in school and, and how does that relate to what you do today, the type of work you do? Yeah. So I got my bachelor's degree in gender studies and then I, and I took a really long time in my undergraduate career. I think it took me like six years to get an associate's degree. And, you know, and then I, once I found what I wanted to do, which was like gender studies and social science, then I kind of clicked into gear (laughs) as far as higher education goes. So my gender studies bachelor's degree, and then I went to graduate school and pursued my PhD in sociology. So my degrees in sociology, my focus was on population level health. And kind of under that, I really, I studied contraception and abortion care. And and so my dissertation, I had been teaching sexual health classes in the Salt Lake County Jail. And those people also changed my life, those women that I got to meet in that class. And it was exposed to me that they were being taken off of their contraceptive methods whenever they were booked into the jail. And that is, of course, a huge disruption to their reproductive autonomy. And so that is what I really studied in graduate school was contraceptive access and disruption for people who are incarcerated. And that led to me getting a job at the University of Utah School of Medicine in the family planning division, where for about four years, I mean, this is kind of the intertwining of the parent story and the career story. I applied for this job when I was eight months pregnant and got it, but didn't start until Zoomer was 11 weeks old. And so that was a lot <laughs> to, to have a new job while being a new parent, while finishing a dissertation, like wouldn't recommend it to people. <laughs> it was a lot. 10 um, out of 10. Don't recommend yeah, it. One out of 10. You know, I mean, like it's, it's how it happened for me and it worked out for right. me, but it was super stressful. Um, right. It's like, it was too much pressure. It was too much pressure to have like my first real serious job while I was still recovering from a C-section and so exhausted. You know, it was a lot. So for four and a half years, for the last four and a half years, I have been managing and directing contraceptive initiatives in Utah. So I first managed a county level contraceptive initiative here called the Her Salt Lake Contraceptive Initiative, where we were able to provide about 7,400 people in Salt Lake County with no cost contraceptive care. And then I took that and leveled it up to a statewide contraceptive initiative called Family Planning Elevated. And we provide, you know, no cost care to people who are uninsured or undocumented and really just try to help people have access to contraception who might not be able to afford it otherwise. So that's been like my career, you know, my job, my, my day job. Oh, cool. It's not as much in your book. So I yeah. actually didn't know this. So I re- I'm uh, loving this. Yeah. How does this then change? You're moving to Australia. So how is right. that going to work? And, and what do you see as the, because people in partnerships and, and in different ranges of families, often the careers like mold and shape around where you live and yeah. following different people. So do you have plans yeah. for that? Or is it an open question? Yeah. So I have put in my resignation at the School of Medicine. And it's been a lovely, supportive transition there. You know, like there's like months in advance, you know, of like, we're going, we're going to Australia. And so I'll be moving from like a full-time faculty member at the University of Utah to adjunct and can still be involved, you know, in publishing our research around the initiative. But 
I work with such an incredible team. It felt like a good time anyway. I mean, I love that this podcast is called Startup Parent because I, I think that my mind, like the way I like to, I love that startup time, right? Like I like, like, what's the problem? How do we solve it? Like, who do we need to know? Who are the stakeholders? Like, let's get the funding. Like, that's where I really thrive is that early stage of getting a solution off the ground. And now Family Planning Elevated or FPE has just such an incredible team behind it that I, I'm like, oh, maybe it's my it's my time to go, right? Like, like this is in such great, great hands and it's my time to find the next thing. And I think this book, you know, or this gender creative parenting movement has kind of, it started off as just like, this is my passion, right? This is how I parent. This is just what I do. It's like my lifestyle and philosophy, not my job. But over the last couple of years, that has changed, you know? And, you know, I'm I have this book now and I now consult with companies and media, you know, about millennial parenting and, you know, social justice parenting and gender creative parenting. So it's shifting, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be the first time in my life where I think a huge part of my identity and day isn't wrapped up in my career, but I'm actually really looking forward to that too, you know, going to Australia where I'm I'm legally not allowed to work there on the type of visa that I'm on. I mean, as far as like Australian jobs, right? Like yeah. I can't go and apply for Australian jobs. So anything I do will just be the things that I'm doing through the US, I guess anyway. Yeah. yeah. So this, I mean, this brings us pretty nicely to, I, I want to hear about your parenting journey and, mm-hmm. and we'll get also, I'm sure, unfolding into the gender creative parenting. Mm-hmm. Give us some of the context. Have you always known that you've wanted to be a parent? Mm-hmm. And what did your journey towards parenting look like? Growing up in Mormon culture, it's like, huge around families and really big families. I live in Utah where we have the highest fertility rate, you know, like it's like, it's a parenting is a really big deal. And I think it's kind of touted as this, like, of course you will milestone, you know, which isn't, which isn't great. Um, I don't subscribe to that model, you know, like do whatever you want. But so I think that I grew up always thinking I would be a mom or a parent. And in large part, it's because I was culturally very conditioned to (laughs) want motherhood and marriage. But I think that that shifted a little, it shifted a bit when I went to college, honestly. And I met, like I found feminism, right? And I was in like, I kind of started understanding the patriarchy and gender (laughs) inequity and these huge imbalances in parenthood, especially, you know, in like a mother, father dyad and and so I think around like my, I think when I was in my early twenties, I was like, never, I will never have, kids. you know, I mean, and that lasted a few years where I was just like, patriarchy isn't, you know, using me, you know, like I just, it was a, you know, I, I was a very ferocious baby feminist in my early twenties and I got softer and I, I, it wasn't really on my radar, right? Like it wasn't something that I was really thinking about in my like mid twenties, but And I think it's because I was really focused on other stuff. I was focused on my education. I was focused on my career. I was really loving my independence and knowing that, right, like I don't have to be like becoming a mother or becoming a parent isn't going to be what like completes me. But I remember learning about gender creative parenting when I was an undergrad because 
it was in 2012 and there were these stories that were happening. One of the kids' name is Sasha, who is in the UK and one is Storm, who's in Canada. And it was the first time that like this concept was, I was seeing it actually being practiced. You know, I think gender creative parenting, the idea of not assigning a gender to your child and using they, them pronouns and trying to kind of like help shield them from the gender binary and stereotypes and let them find their own way to their identity. It gets touted as really utopian and impossible and science fiction-y. And then to see these two families doing it, it just stuck with me. I must have been 23, 24. It just, I was like, oh, like if I became a parent this is what I think I would want to do. But I didn't have a partner at the time. Like I didn't like, so it was just kind of tucked away. And then I met Brent, my husband in 2014, you know, and within a year or so we were talking about, you know, would we become parents? Is that something that we want for ourselves? And we both thought, yes, we would want one kid, maybe two, you know, like not a lot. Like we did, I didn't see myself. I think back in the day, I was like, oh yeah, I'll have eight kids. Like every good Mormon, (laughs) you know, and then you realize how expensive they are and you know, like that you, you only have so much time in the day. And so Brent and I were on the same page about wanting to maybe have one or two kids. And we also, I, I needed to talk to him about gender creative parenting because that was the only way I saw myself parenting, you know, you know, and it was just like, the way I understand gender, the way I'm studying gender, I just want to hack parenting a bit in this way. And he was totally on board, which was wonderful. I know, you know, not every, not everyone is totally on the same page with like parenting values, you know? So, but we really tried to communicate about that. And so before I even got pregnant with Zoomer, we knew, like, we knew like, this is how we're going to parent. And so- it was a relatively easy conversation, but I think it was because I had just years worth of like conviction about it, you know, to make yeah. a convincing case. <laughs> it's so interesting too. Sometimes those idea threads, like they plant their seeds when we're a little bit younger and then we learn about them. And then we really open those doors in conversations mm-hmm. with people. And then you, and then you jumped in, you yeah, decided to do it. And did. what was that like for you? Doing gender creative parenting, or actually, parenting just in general? yeah, just you know, just getting pregnant and becoming a parent. A trip, right? So, so I just I look back on Zoomer's only four and a half, but I look back on like I would have classified myself as like a rational, smart person, but I got pregnant, like planned, like we had this planned pregnancy while I was like a graduate student on a <laughs> tiny stipend, you know, like was so broke. And then, and recently married to an immigrant who did not have a green card yet <laughs> and like had no, you know, way of actually like participating in the economy in a legal way. Like I just look back on it. I'm like, what were we thinking? You know, like, what were we thinking? But a big part of why we got pregnant when we did was because I'm in like this academic model and there, I don't know how much you or your listeners know about like the job market for academia, but it's wild. And there are so many applicants and so few jobs for like assistant professor positions. And 
I was just coming up on being almost done with my graduate with with my PhD and was going to need to be going on the job market. And I had been seeing what had been happening to women. Like, okay, if you go on the job market and you're heavily pregnant, you off you can be discriminated against, even in social science departments, right? So like we're studying this. It like the, the discrimination is so embedded and deep and real that that any marker you have of parenthood along the spectrum, right? Like, are you pregnant? Ooh, okay. That means that in your first couple of years, you're going to be like so busy with that. Are you nursing? You you know, like, are you asking for a, a break to pump? Do you know, do you have small children? If you aren't already, if you don't have kids, then you're being labeled as like, oh, but you're going to want to have kids. Do you have a ring on your finger? Like, yes. So just, I was seeing that happen of just like how much bias was seeping into, especially women's success and experience on the job market. And so I, I think I was just doing that calculations in my head, right. Of like, okay, I need to go on the job market and it's for this many months and you're traveling. And I am scared to have markers of pregnancy or parenting on me. That's right. You know, and and I mean, I hate, I hate to say that, but it is so real. And I was seeing it happen. And like, I talk about the motherhood penalty a lot and it's so real. It is. It's so real. So, yeah. So, so that was a big, I think that that fast tracked, you know, it was like, okay, we can either, we can get pregnant now. The baby will be here. I will be able to travel for these job interviews baby will be able to be here with formula and you or, you know, like what right. it just, it was that, or we need to wait a few years until I get a job and then we can have a baby. And Brent, you know, was like, I don't want to wait. You know, I don't want to wait five years if you're okay with, you know, starting now. So we did, we, we jumped in, we jumped into it quick and we're really lucky to get pregnant, you know, after just a couple months of trying and everything was a, we had a positive, healthy pregnancy. I didn't love being pregnant, but I guess like relatively it was a good one. And, (laughs) but then everything changed anyway, because I kind of got approached about a job here in Salt Lake, you know, so best laid plans, you Mm -hmm. know, of like, well, here's my, you know, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to have my baby. I'm going to finish my dissertation. Then I'm going to go on the job market, you know, and then I'm being asked to come in for an interview when I'm eight months pregnant. Oh gosh. You know? That's right. That's I right. was like, this was not the plan. You know, but of course <laughs> it, it never was, is. You know, but of course it was wonderful and they were really accommodating and wonderful, you know, and even I'm, I'm, I have this big pregnant belly, you know, I'm waddling into this office, but like legally they can't ask me anything. If you're pregnant. You know? yeah. <laughs> so can you start working like five weeks? I know. Probably not. I know. I'm Probably. like, when, yeah, when do you, when would you want me to start? You know? And they're like, March 19th. I'm like, that is literally my estimated date. You know, like I can't do that. Yes. Guest date. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Sorry. So, you know, so like the whole reason why we planned to, you know, do it, like it, it kind of went up and didn't matter anyway in the end. Yeah. And it all worked out, you know, but mm-hmm. it was still, it was rough. It was rough to make that transition. Like there was a couple of months where like, you know, I was, I was transitioning into getting this full-time job and we didn't have childcare, you know, because we weren't, ex- I wasn't expecting to get this job, you know, and mm-hmm. wait lists on, you know, daycares in Salt Lake are nine months to a year long, yeah. you know? And yeah. so the scramble of like, there was the first, Zoomer didn't get into a daycare until they were five months old. And so it was just like, 
trying to find, you know, friends who could look after Zoomer a couple days a week while I went to work and and then I was I was able to negotiate being home, you know, a couple days a week in the first couple of months of my job because I just didn't have childcare and Brent was, you know, taking unpaid time off to be at home. Like there was a really weird, you know, couple of months after my unpaid maternity leave, family leave of just trying to like piece together. Desperately claw things together. (laughs) And also being in these situations where I'm like, oh God, I have to take Zoomer to work with me, right? Like there's no one to look after them. You have a meeting. Oh my God, I have to take my baby to work with me. Like I'm every new mom's like fear, you you know, of like, am I going to like, what is my boss going to think? And they're lovely. Like my boss and all my colleagues were lovely. You know, this like tiny four month old Zoomer on the ground next to me, you know, well, you know, and everyone's, can I hold them? Can I help? You know, and it was just, I feel so fortunate to have been in a set, you know, even though it was supportive, I still felt so self-conscious about it though. You know, of Of course. course. I mean, I, I'm, thank you for saying all of this because so many people who listen to the show are, people who are thinking about all the preparations and plans in their careers and their parenting journey, because they're looking at, you know, they're 27, 28, 32, and they're looking at the next decade of their life. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, well, what's the timing look like? And what do I have to consider? And so we have so many listeners that Mm -hmm. want to hear all of the things that you've gone through so they can, I mean, we can't plan for it. And my dad always tells me, I'm one of four. And when we thought about having kids, he was like, well, you know, things don't really go according to plan. Like, (laughs) like you can make a plan, but if you're waiting for it to turn out the way you hope, I don't, I don't, sweetie, I, good luck. You know, thank you for sharing because so many people listening uh, Mm. want these details. Like they want to know these stories. Yeah. So what is gender creative parenting? I mean, you're pretty well known for it. You wrote this amazing book. Um, I have my copy here, Raising Them. It just came out. It's so good. I I will credit sleep deprivation with some of the reasons why I cried, but then I will also attribute you <laughs> to some of the reasons why I cried. Like I just kept tearing up throughout the book. Uh, and there's this sentence, I think it's both in your book and in t- the Time Magazine article that you wrote, but The goal of gender creative parenting is not to eliminate gender. The goal is to eliminate gender-based oppression, disparities, and violence. The aim isn't to create a gender-less world. It's to contribute to a gender-full one. This is one of the sentences that really, like, it knocked me over. Mm -hmm. It made me cry being seen. It made me, like, realize, like, no, we're not trying to make everyone beige and gray, as you write. Like, it just was so beautiful to me. It, Mm -hmm. It gave me a voice to what I felt, but hadn't yet been able to articulate. So can you talk about Mm. what is gender creative parenting? What does it mean to you? And how how did you get into this journey? Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for saying that. I really appreciate it. So gender creative parenting, I'll tell you what it is to me, what it means to me, kind of like the, the how and then the why. So how I practice gender creative parenting and what it means to me is that I did not assign a gender to my child, Zoomer, when they were born. And like they have anatomy, right? They have a body and I don't shy away from helping them understand their body, right? And giving them language to describe their body. But what I didn't want to do was 
put gendered labels or gendered expectations or restrictions on Mm -hmm. them just because of their body. I use they, them pronouns for Zoomer since birth. We don't correct people, you know, strangers at the grocery store who would say he's so cute or she's so cute, right? You know, it's like, thank you. You know, I wasn't stopping. I don't stop people in the produce section. (laughs) say, let me. (laughs) Just hand out your book. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, So didn't assign a gender, use they, them pronouns, and then just really try to expose Zoomer to all of the positive things about all of gender instead of, you know, kind of trying to like sort them into half, half the store, half the, half the toys, half the adjectives. Why I felt so compelled to do this type of parenting um, really falls under two things, like kind of two branches. The first is that because of my like my lived experience, I am a queer person and I didn't have the language or the role models for that when I was growing up. But I know so many transgender people and intersex people and non-binary people and gender fluid people. Like I have so many people in my life who I love whose parents didn't get their gender assignment right. Right. And I think that like uh, all of us are operating with the best of intentions, you know, and we are, can only make parenting decisions based on our own background and knowledge. But I just saw how much harm it has caused a lot of my friends and a lot of my students. And so that was kind of reason one of like, I'm very confident that my child will know who they are and they'll know who they are young. Like Zoomer is four and a half and knows who they are. And I just feel like maybe we can just kind of leave it as like a blank slate for them to tell us who they are. Right. And because that's, that's the story that comes out for a lot of people who are transgender or non-binary and so that they know. And so that was one reason of just Zoomer will know we don't need to assign their gender identity to them. We can just wait and listen to what they say. And then the second part was that through all of my studies in like gender studies and my sociology degree, all I did every single day was read about gender inequity and disparities and gendered violence and this social construction of gender that is really oppressive to a lot of people, even the people who it is meant to benefit, you know, which is white cisgender men, right? Like this patriarchy isn't really doing them as many favors as maybe they think, you know? So, so I just was sick of reading about gender stereotypes and gender disparities and gender-based violence. And so I thought, even if my kid is like a cisgender person, I do not want them to experience being put on this like path towards a specific binary destiny just because of these like really arbitrary ideas that we have around gender in our culture. And so I just thought like, I might be able to like protect them from stereotypes and um, microaggressions and I might be able to do that for a few years and why not, right? Why not, right? Like Zoomer is not being raised in a vacuum, but it was like, if we don't give people certain cues that they think they need to like unlock the script of how to treat a kid, maybe that could shield Zoomer from learning, you know, like learning stereotypes, learning bias. And so we did our best, you know, in the first few years, we're definitely not raising Zoomer in a vacuum. They go to school, they watch TV, right? We live in America where like there's (laughs) capitalism and marketing everywhere. Like Zoomer is learning about the gender and the gender binary, right? From peers and, and things. But 
our parenting is just this like consistent daily intentional practice of trying to make sure Zoomer learns about gender as it actually is, which is really diverse, right? And a spectrum and should be celebrated instead of conformed. For people who uh, have never taken a gender studies class or like they're learning about this for the first time, or maybe they watch the show Billions and they know that one of the characters goes by they, they, they're them. Let's, can we go over a couple of basics? Yeah. What's the difference between sex and gender? Yeah, great. So when I think about sex, I'm thinking about more like the anatomy and physiology of someone. Mm -hmm. So right? Someone might have sex chromosomes or they have genitals or reproductive organs and hormones, um, gonads. Like when I'm thinking about sex, it is more of like, yeah, your, your body is born. Right. And that's, that's who you are. And that might, that's, that can determine maybe what kind of puberty you're going to go through, or maybe what type of reproductive options you have, if that is something that you want to do. Gender is much more the like social and cultural norms and expectations that societies tend to place on people's bodies, right? And so, so often when we're talking about like sex and gender, a lot of people kind of conflate the two. And for a lot of people, like sex and gender is experienced, you know, kind of as this intertwined samesies thing. And that is called cisgender. So if someone is born and has a vulva and is assigned female at birth and raised as a girl and they grow up and they are an adult and like identify as a woman, then that is someone who is cisgender. If someone who is born with a vulva and assigned female and raised as a girl, but is a boy and is a man and, you know, and is able to communicate that, that that is someone who, that is a term that we call transgender. There are also non-binary people who don't really you know, really identify as either a boy or a girl, or they identify as both or, you know, something more fluid. So this is new language on a more mainstream level, right? Like I have watched over the last 10 years, five years as like the gender revolution has gained so much momentum and this like exponential growth, right? And, and I completely have compassion for the fact that that can be really overwhelming for a lot of people, you know, of like, okay, pronouns help me understand, you know, what are these languages that help me understand. So when I, those are some, I hope that those are kind of some helpful clarifiers that, yeah, people are born with bodies, mm-hmm. but as a culture, we sure put a lot of <laughs> meaning, right? Like ridiculous yes, right. meaning onto these bodies. And right. those meanings don't work for everybody. And I would argue like most of us. That's right. That's right. The whole, all of these, once you start to examine them and you're like, wait a second. So because you have a penis, therefore what exactly? Like, what is it that you're telling me exactly? Or because like, just because of your sexual organs or your genitalia, we are now subscribing you to all of these expectations and you should do X, Y, and Z. It's really wild when you get into it. Yeah. 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 And I think that there's kind of this reckoning happening right now because gender, so many people are raised to believe that gender and like our gendered behaviors and interests are so innate, you know, and natural. And it's like, ah, no, you you know, like if you actually were to even look at how gender is experienced over 50 years, right? Or a hundred, like not even that long, you can see how it's so influenced by all of these like cultural dynamics, you know, and where you are, like how we experience gender 
in America can be very different to how it's experienced in Mexico or Sweden or, you know, Iraq. So it's just, I like looking at gender as this like, oh, it's very socially determined and sex is more like, you know, know, maybe that's when we're talking about like biology, but even then I think it's a slippery slope, you know, of like, it's amazing what we can do to our bodies, right. To have, to affirm ourselves, to have even bodies that work for us, you know? That's right. That's right. I mean, so we have a set of core values here at Startup Parent, and then my husband and I have family philosophies, life philosophies. And one of the, one of them works for both my company and for our family, which has been very lovely, but it's, we don't have to do things the way they've always been done. It's one of our first principles. And we've now, I think, drilled it in enough times on the podcast that I have people playing it back to me. And, oh, yeah, you said we don't have to do things. So I'm trying this new thing at work. And I'm like, yes. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yes. I love that. <laughs> because we don't, right? Oh. Like, And that's we, where innovation, right, can come right. from and liberation of like saying, no, hard pass. Like. <laughs> No, thanks. Yeah. Not for me. No, nope. No. Yeah. Good for no. you. Not for me. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Maybe not so good for you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'll let you figure that one out. Yeah. Um, okay. So harder question, where does the gender binary come from? The gender, not the sex. And there's also the sex. Right. We take a minute to think about this, by the way. I remember reading that book, Middle Sex. Have you read it? Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know when it came out, but I, it's been a number of years because it's been with me through a number of moves. So I've had the book for a while. And I remember the mind shift that I had because I thought or I assumed that people just were born with either this anatomy or that anatomy. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that there's hundreds of thousands of people that have more than the binary, like they have other forms of anatomy. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, wait, our thinking about this is what's mm-hmm. restrictive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ac- accurately reflect the reality. Yeah. And what I've been told and what I've been taught is different than what's the truth. And it really opened my mind in a number of ways. But now into gender, why a binary? Who does yeah. it benefit? Where does it come from? Yeah. I think kind of similarly to what you were just talking about, about like, there are these ideas, right? Like that it's either this or it's that. I think when we're talking about the binary though, and especially like the the mainstream one in US culture, the gender binary that is such a tool of of patriarchy. Like I, you know, I kind of all roads lead <laughs> all <laughs> oppressive roads lead back to the patriarchy of Right. Like it's not like our human history is that long, you know, but it's like you can start to see from, I mean, centuries ago how women are property, uh, you know, like women are property of men. And like, and that, that unfortunately didn't really start to end until re- like recently, right? I mean, even like not that far back and even like any of our family's lineage would be women not being able to get credit cards, you know, without like a husband or a father's signature or so I I think the binary comes from power and the binary comes to reproduce that power and to control that power. And it gets written into laws and it gets, you know, become, becomes these cultural norms. It is a powerful tool in religion and Mm -hmm. like all of these institutions, these cultural institutions that we have, and it just gets perpetuated and inherited, you know, like from generation to generation. 
And I do think that whether it's like millennials or Gen Z or, you know, like there's this new zeitgeist of awareness. And I think a big part of that does come with like scientific leaps, right? Like we understand that sex is not binary, right? Like, yes, there are, you know, what we call males and what we call females. And there are also intersex people. And also all males aren't like identical and, you know, like, like we're not from different planets because of our bodies. There's so much variation among females and among intersex people and among male people. And so I think that there's this scientific and historical juncture that we're at, mm-hmm. right? Where we can know so much more. There's stories, right? You read a book, you read a really beautiful novel called Middlesex that introduced you to an intersex character, you, you know, and and you were able to open your mind to that, like same, you know? And so, yeah. and meeting people and then the gender binary is the same way, right? Like I think we kind of get passed down norms, you know, and and within our culture and it just gets perpetuated and it can be scary to do something different. But I think that the internet really helped blow the binary up because it helped people find each other, right? Like I was able to find more queer people. I was able to find more non-binary stories. I, you know, like you're seeing this media, you know, mm-hmm. visibility, political visibility. There's a huge change happening on all sorts of levels, right? Like anti-racist levels, anti-sexist mm-hmm. levels, anti-xenophobic levels. Like there, there's a really good awakening going on right now culturally yes. that I think we're going to be so much better for, right? If you if we can like move past the fear and go, oh, maybe we don't have to do things the way we've always done them, you know, and like, and, you know, be able to lean into like, oh, on the other side of this, I might not have as much privilege, but if it means that more people are able to live authentic, vibrant, healthy, safe lives, then let's do it. That's right. You know, I think, I think this is so interesting also to get into because when I start to, my philosophical mind starts to go down all of these paths. And I think about it, I'm like, okay, so where does the gender binary come from? And who does it benefit? And I'm like, well, if we have a world that's constructed with a, a man and a woman and a traditional husband and wife, and we think about the role of the church and the role of religion and the power structures at play, it can certainly sound a lot like we're poking the bear where we're like, we shouldn't have marriage, like the church is bad. You know, there's all of this, I think, these power structures that are being disrupted. And I really want to challenge people listening that the parts that maybe, and, and this is a challenge to myself too, that make us uncomfortable, to ask the next question, which is like, well, how can we keep the good stuff mm-hmm. and make it better? Like it's our role to imagine the future that we want to live in. And like, what does a beautiful family look like? that doesn't have this power imbalance. Mm-hmm. And what is a beautiful, I'm not a church going person myself. I have my own spirituality, but I love my friends who love their gods, right? Mm-hmm. And I want you to have your religions, but what is a religion that doesn't rely on patriarchal power mm-hmm. imbalances look like? What could you imagine the most beautiful church in the world? I'm getting shivers just thinking about it. Like one that's really egalitarian and just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, I just, sometimes I like ask these questions and I realize I leave this hole where I might be inadvertently telling people like, down with the church, everything must go, <laughs> like burn it to the ground. And I wonder... How do you think about this? How do you think about imagining and envisioning 
the future and like bringing people to a future that you see? That's a really beautiful question. And I like everything that you said. And I don't think that listeners are going to be like, hmm. She hates church. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that that's, that's I do not, dislike that, some of the things yeah, they're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. I hear, I hear you, yeah, you know, yeah. as, as someone who has a complicated relationship with an organized religion, you know, I hear you. So I think that it can be really scary to be exposed to new histories, right? Right. Like I, I, I just even think of like when I went to college, it was the first time that I really learned about enslavement, you know, and colonization and how truly terrible, like, you know, this history of white colonizing people, like just looking, you know, yeah, that it's just like, Whew, okay, like this wasn't taught to me how it should have been taught to me. This was totally taught through the perspective and the lens of glorifying this. And to then wake up when I was in my 20s and going to school and asking those questions of like, oh, this is so scary though, like to think of like a different way and is it even possible? And I do feel like I'm trying to teach that possibility to Zoomer in like not letting them inherit the same bias that I did. You know, and I have lovely parents, right? But like they inherited the bias. They right. you know, like so so it just is this really intergenerational lesson. And so Brent, my husband and I, we really lean in a lot to conversations of like, you know, I told him there's not a chance in hell I am changing my last name when I get married to you. <laughs> you know, I'm like if you would like to take my name, go for it. You know, like we can write Courtney Myers on our Tupperware, but I'm not changing my last name. Like, you know, and, and it's because, it, and like, by all means, if you want to change your last name, if you know, if you, if you, if you, if you want to change your last name, fantastic. But I, I know why traditionally women tend to change their last name. It, it's, it is, it is because it is a, it's a transfer of property from, yeah. right? Like, you are born to your father and then you, you know, marry your husband. And so then you take on his last name because, and I, and I know that of course there's so much sentiment that moves beyond that. Right. And there is like a lot of symbolism that comes in a family name, but I think just for myself, that was like, nope, like I'm not doing it. But with Zoomer in my parenting, I try to lean into the things that I have been taught that aren't right. Like normal and like blow up what is normal, right? Like I don't yeah. want Zoomer to think that being cisgender is normal. I don't want Zoomer to think that being straight is normal, that being monogamous is normal because we created normal. And I think yeah. that we, I don't want there to be this like hierarchy or like default or right. Like I don't want Zoomer to think that they would have to like come out to me you know, like, because I want to raise them in a way that like, oh, you get to just be your, you, you get to be who you are. I have no default assumptions for you, you know? And, and the questions that I have to have with my husband, you know, of like, okay, like those really hard questions that like choosing to stop breastfeeding because I wanted there to be more equity in parenthood between okay. us, you know, and going, I know there's so much shame around you know, for so many mothers who choose formula, right? But like, screw that, right? Like, because 
there are a lot of people who adopt. There are a lot of like dads, you know, same sex dads, single dads. Like there are people who, for whatever reason, choose not to like body feed. And like, let's stop contributing to the shame around that, right? I was like, I want sleep. I want my nipples back. (laughs) I want to see my friends. I want you to have as much like involvement in keeping this kid alive as I do, you know? And that like, that's a tough conversation. And it was a conversation that had to be had, you know, right. Of like, you know, and I mean, not everybody would land on the same decision as I did or that we did, you know, but it was just kind of like for us, if we really want to be egalitarian parents, there are like sacrifices that need to be made. This gets back to something that you talk about in the book, but I think one of the things I see time and time again with the women that I work with and we have um, women's circles and I hear so much angst about the inequity inside of a partnership, how people have children. And then they realize like my partner is like having another child. I have, I'm in service to this person that I have to care for, clothe, feed, pick up the house, like manage their schedule. Like it's, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. Like I wanted a partner and I wanted equity. And then we had kids and it feels like I have Mm. uh, somebody that's not fully a partner. And Darcy Lockman has a book, All the Rage, and she talks about how 60% of the divorces are initiated by women because of this, because Mm. of the inequity and the the homework, the housework and the household management. But I can't help but think, and this is where you come in, that part of this is because we have gendered our boys to expect to have a mom and then expect to grow up and have a wife that will do this role of taking care of them. And so they don't, from a young age, don't learn this. And I know that you, you talk about this in Mm -hmm. your book, you talk about how much like the adult gender expectations starts in childhood. So Mm -hmm. can you speak to this? Yeah. I, I, and I feel for all of those people, you know, who are, who carry so much of the emotional labor and so much of the life admin. And it truly is like, it can be so frustrating and relationship breaking for sure. And I think it's preventable and it's avoidable, right? Like if we, and it's again, like it's tough conversations to be like, "Mm, you do your own laundry. Mm, You go grocery shopping. Mm, You do the dishes, right? Like you take this kid, like it, it, it does take constant communication, you know, of like, you don't just like, you just aren't equal parents or egalitarian, right? Like it takes conversations and is saying like, I need you to be responsible for picking up the kid from school if they're sick, right? Like moms are getting called and that's bullshit because it means that they're leaving work, right? Like this is, this is how this starts to happen. And if dads aren't showing up and saying, this isn't fair, your career is just as meaningful as mine is. I'm just as capable of taking care of these kids as you are, but it does. It starts in childhood. We see how young boys are not encouraged or are like explicitly discouraged from playing with dolls, from having kitchen sets, from learning how to do laundry, from, right? Like there's, there's so much homophobia around Like that's, that is what I think is one of the biggest links here is like caretaking is so gendered as this like feminine thing that when boys express interest in this, it's like, so then does that make you feminine? Does that make you gay? And there's all this like homophobic panic that's also garbage, right? That, And so I, I do think that there is this 
enormous disconnect between moms who are so mad at their husbands who are not showing up in parenthood or in their partnership and yet for their own boys won't you know like say come here like let me show you how to change like the baby's diaper let me right like you know not encouraging their 14 year old boy to apply for like the after school shift at the daycare center right like so they do. They miss out on so much socialization around caretaking. And then it's a, it's a learned skill, right? Like it's not like people with vulvas or like, or a <laughs> uterus just like magically know how to change a diaper, change a diaper you know, <laughs> or put a baby to sleep. Give me a break. Right. Like, right. like male mammals also have oxytocin running through their veins to, you know, yes. want to like take care of these babies. And so, so I, I do, I think it's, it's so counterintuitive about like how we socialize caretaking, which is such a positive, positive life skill yeah. out of little boys. And so they don't have the practice by the time they become parents. And then there's also so, so much invested in our culture into motherhood, right? Into being the perfect mother. We don't talk about postpartum depression enough. We don't talk about how isolating it is enough. We don't talk about the enormous changes, you know, that happen to your identity, your body, your marriage, your career, all of these things, right? Like we're just so expected to be like, but you have this beautiful baby. Isn't it everything you ever hoped for? And I've and, achieved my dream, my lifelong dream of becoming a totally. mom because it's all I've ever wanted. Wanted to do and totally. And there's also so much inequity in family leave policies. Like when I had Zoomer, I had a C-section and I was like in between, like it was like, I, I didn't have to teach that semester, but my job didn't start until June. So it was like, okay, like I, it makes sense for me to be home. I have to be, I can't walk. And like, and then, but Brent had to, his, his work didn't give him any paid leave. He had to like proactively get every single hour he was able to get. He was like, listen, like my wife just had a baby. She had a C-section. I need to be at home. Can I like, so they gave him one week off unpaid where he was like home with us. The second week they were like, uh, you can work from home. So the second week he had to be at his laptop, right? And like engaged and making sure he was available at like every moment's notice for that second week. And they made him come back the third week. And so it was awful, you know? And then he was gone. And then we tried to figure out like, he had to take some paid time or unpaid time off the week I went back to work because That's I right. was like, I got to do this and we don't have childcare until the next week. And so, you know, so, so we were doing it, but he had to ask for it. And his employers and coworkers were like, what are you doing? Like, do, like, 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 so, so even just like situationally, yes. he was being made to feel like, but that's what your, like, that's why your wife has maternity leave. Like, where's her mom? Where, you know, you know, like what's going on? Like, and, and where's Brent, all this free labor? Yeah. And Brent was totally like, there was somebody who he worked with, who's like, who's, wife had a baby and he was at work the next day. And, you know, and Brent was like, aren't you, didn't you like be what? like, isn't there a new human in your yeah. home? You know? And, and the guy was like, well, like my mother-in-law's there and my sister-in-law's there. Like everybody's there. Like nobody needs me to be there. And it was like, that sucks. Like, you, you know, but that's totally the cultural mindset of like, oh, I'll just go back to work. Right. That's like, right. 
men are pushed out, you know, like men are called babysitters to their own children. And so it's just like, there has to be empowerment. Like there is disempowerment of fathers when we really need to be leaning into empowering them, you know, of like, here's your baby. I'm going Mm -hmm. out for drinks with my Mm -hmm. friends. I'll be back in a few hours. Google Mm -hmm. it, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, and, and vice versa, right? Like if you have to hold them for four hours and bounce them, that's okay. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> and you'll figure it out. But, yeah. but if we if we take away the opportunities for dads to learn how to take care of their kids, yes. then there's an imbalance that can never be corrected. I believe I believe that so strongly. And there's also we had listeners, we had Amy Van Heron on the show, and she talks about the neuropsychology of what happens when you spend time with a baby and how much you can actually like get to rewire your brain. There's there's mm-hmm. optimization and beauty that can happen. And we aren't doing fathers and co-parents any favors by taking them out of this. And also mm-hmm. it just perpetuates the cycle. Totally. And we're back in it. Okay. I have a couple rapid fire questions for you and to close it up. So you, the gender pronouns that you use for your kid are? They, they them. Okay. What do you call um, other kids at daycare? What's a good name we can use instead of boys and girls? I say friends. Mm. What about the parents? What's another name for parents? Uh, grownups. Your grownups. I love it. What about the one you wrote in your book? Like your sister, I think, asked what to call instead Um, of a niece or nephew? Yeah, nibbling. Nibbling. What can grandparents call their grandkids instead of like the granddaughter or the grandson? Grandbaby, grandkids, grandkiddo, their name. (laughs) What's a better question to ask than what are you having? How are you feeling? Can I do anything for you because <laughs> yeah, you can't right. be completely great. Or just here's some yeah. food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is your preferred restaurant and what time do you want the food delivered? Yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Really specific questions they have to answer. Yeah. What's one question you would wish more people would ask? Just in general? About, about becoming a parent, but sure, mm-hmm. also in general. Mm-hmm. And then complimentary, what's one question you mm-hmm. wish people would ask less or stop asking? Mm-hmm. I, I do wish people would ask, like, how are you doing? You, you know, just more genuinely, I wish that, especially among new parenthood, I think we could we need to center parents more than we center the, the newborns, right? Like it, that's, mm-hmm. it's a really, really huge life change that I wish we could just see how people are doing because they're not great, you know, <laughs> no. I don't think. And less often, just any question that's making assumptions, I guess, like, what are you having? Or, you know, I just, I don't know. I want us to just be leaning in more to like authentic connection than stereotype yeah. creation. <laughs> and it's so interesting because I find when I work with so many new mamas and new parents, like I make an assumption, but then I back away from the assumption because I know the brain space that they're in. I'm like, oh, that must feel like really challenging and hard and like, mm-hmm. like overwhelming. But is that what you feel? Like, but is that true for you? Right. Like the kind of leaning in and leaning out and being like, Hey, I want to be here for you. And also maybe this is great for you. Yeah. Maybe it's or not what both. I'm assuming. Yes, or right. both. I mean, I, that I wish someone could have told me the the month you go back to work, you are going to be thrilled and terrified and sad. Like when you're at work, you're going to be wishing you were with the baby. And when you're with the baby, you're going to be wishing you were at work. And that is that's that that is going to normalize, you know, like you're going to find your groove. 
but in the beginning, you are going to be feeling like you're pulled in a hundred directions and wherever you are in that moment, you, you know, can be unsettling. And I try to, you know, I mean, I think that there's more real talk happening among parents and working <laughs> parents now, but just like, I don't think I was prepared for the tidal wave of new parenthood and yeah. working during it, you know? And, and I feel so grateful to have people in my life who I was like, real talk, what? Yeah, you, you know. That's right. That's yeah. Right. You know, and we could all like lean, like yeah. talk, talk to each other about it because it's so joyful and wildly disorienting. Do you feel like you've recovered? Is that, is that even, are you on the road? Yeah, I do. I feel like my recovery, like I feel like my identity came back to live in my body after Zoomer was like a year and a half or two years old. Like it took a lot, like I was like, oh, there you are. It's so nice to see you. Right. But there's all these different pieces of your identity, right? Like your intelligence goes away for a while. Your sexuality goes away for a while. Your, your sense of humor goes away for a while, you know, and it, and it did, it felt so good to have all these pieces like come back, you know, to me and they came back differently, but it, it was like, Oh, no one told me, like I knew, you know, like, I guess I knew that parenthood was going to rattle me. I didn't know that it was going to like shake me upside down, like rearrange (laughs) and like come back together. And no, I feel, I feel like I'm in a very good groove now, but it also took the time. It's almost like I had to have like the amnesia, right? Like it was really hard when you could remember your pre-baby life, you know, I'm like, remember, remember when we didn't do anything on the weekend? Like, remember remember? weekends? Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember manicures? Like, do you remember sex? Like, do you remember these things? You know, freedom, a clean kitchen, you know? (laughs) And then after years, you're just like, oh, this is just how, you know, like this is life. And and, like, it's a distant memory. (laughs) My pre, my child-free life, you know? So yes, I have adjusted. And then like torture of sleep deprivation is a silver lining because you're like, I have no memory of that. So I guess it used to be good. Um, just thank you, Kyle. Thank you for being so honest and open. I could talk to you for a long time. Where can people find out about you and your book? Where should they follow you on the internet? Sure. I'm on Instagram at Kyle underscore Myers, K-Y-L underscore M-Y-E-R-S or my website, kylemyers.com. People can find me. Yeah, but I love connecting with folks and being That's honest. <laughs> That's right. We will have this interview out soon. And the book is called Raising Them, Our Adventure in Gender Creative Parenting. It just came out too, which is really exciting. Congratulations on a book Thank that you. is also a quite uh, an accomplishment. Yeah. And then people, you know, that listening, I always say, go say nice things on the internet. The internet's full of trolls. Don't be them. We aren't them. So go leave some like awesome comments and say hi to Kyle. There actually are humans on the other side of these accounts. Yeah. And when we say nice things, it really can make someone's day. So it's true. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. And if you found this episode useful, valuable, and informative, I have a few more episodes that you might appreciate that talk a little bit more about issues that we brought up today. Go back in time all the way to episode number two for our interview with Annie Dean and looking at how we can design flexible workplaces that make more sense for parents and families. Or if you're fired up, check out episode number 23 with Sarah Lacey of Chairman Mom 
where she talks all about overthrowing the patriarchy and why there may be a power or political agenda behind not granting paid leave policies. If you want to dive into more on the conversation about race, social justice, and getting politics into your business and what that looks like, check out episode 36 with Tepsi. Two more that you might like include Planning Ahead for Maternity Leave as an Entrepreneur, episode number 65 with Ariana Taboada. And episode number 75, we talk about what it looks like to transition back to work after a career break with Rita Kakati Shah. Because oftentimes when faced without time or paid leave, you need to plan ahead for your own maternity leave and figure out a way to make it work. That's what Ariana talks about in episode number 65. But sometimes you take a break and it ends up being one or two or three years and you realize, how do I get back into my work life if that's where I am today? Take a listen to episode number 75 if that's you. I will put all of these links into the show notes and you can always find the episode number either by scrolling through your podcast player and looking for the episode number or you can go to startuppregnant.com and then type backslash 065075002, whatever the number is that I just listed, enter the three sequence number onto our website and you can find our episodes. If you want to browse through all the episodes we've done, you can go to startuppregnant.com slash archive and see everything that we've put forward and put out to date. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hey, everyone, just a heads up and a reminder, if you want to listen to our long form Ask Me Anything sessions, they are 30, 45, and sometimes 60 minutes in length, and they we go deep into questions that people have. If you want me to look at your business, you want me to comment on your marketing plan, or you have a question about parenting, pregnancy, or anything in between, we are taking listener questions, and I answer them in a monthly Ask Me Anything fireside chat. It's available only to our Patreon supporters. So if you back us at the $7 a month level, you get access to this private podcast. You can get access to all of the past episodes, which is pretty cool. So if you're missing the podcast while we're on our hiatus and you want to take a listen in to these Ask Me Anything episodes, go over to Patreon and become a monthly backer at the $7 per month level and you'll get access to all of the future episodes, as well as all of the past episodes. Keep in mind that you are also supporting the work of Startup Pregnant and our growth in these early days. And that matters a ton. Every dollar helps and counts. And we appreciate so much and are grateful for your support. Patreon.com slash Startup Pregnant will take you right there. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Did I spell that right? Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Yes. Patreon.com slash Startup Pregnant will take you there. The link will be right here in the show notes. You can go straight there. $7 a month and you get access to this entirely exclusive Patreon-only podcast. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. 
we send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.